You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Worship Review. My name is Colin. I'm a history professor at a research university in the Midwest. As ever, I'm joined by my co-host, Tyler. I'm Tyler, happily back in the States and doing work on linguistics. Tyler, you don't sound terrible. This is great. Well, you haven't heard what I have to say yet, so don't get <laughs> no, too <true>. excited. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, uh, in style, not necessarily in substance. I mean, <laughs> substance is always questionable. And uh, Tyler and I, for the first time in this whole series, are not actually joined by a guest host. Um, we, you know, nobody wanted to hang out with us anymore after seeing the way that we treated all of our guests. That's true. Just ran away. So it's just us. And we're going to be looking at the song Holy Water by We the Kingdom. And that's H-O-L-Y and not W-H-O-L-L-Y. So just for you, you uh, spelling nerds out there. Very important. Don't get confused. Uh, And, you know, the other thing, just to be consistent, so this series, in addition to interviewing folks and having guest hosts, we've been looking at songs that were nominated or won Dove Awards. And this song was a 2020 nominee for Song of the Year. Yeah. Pretty impressive. And uh, just a little bit more about that, too. Um, they, the band had two Grammy Awards, actually. Um, and oh, yeah. the album on which this song, which was originally introduced as a solo uh, single and then became the titular song in an album, that won Best Contemporary Christian Music Album at the Grammys. Um, wow. And the title song was nominated at the Grammys for Best Contemporary Christian Music Performance slash Song. And then, of course, at the Dove um, Awards, they, they were Artist of the Year, um, and they got Album of the Year, too. So even Incredible. though this song was not adorned so highly at the Dove Awards, uh, the group and the album were. They came away with plenty of hardware that year then. Yes, which they uh, melted down uh, in order to... Uh, <laughs> preserve wealth in an inflationary period (laughs) there you go (laughs) this is not the first time that we the kingdom have appeared on the podcast colin as you remember we did a song uh well they did a song and we reviewed a song by we the kingdom called god so loved and you that was series four episode 16 you gave it a three later revised that to a four uh Mm -hmm. proms and i gave it five thunder chiefs so this band comes pretty highly recommended by us so far yeah Okay. Well, let's talk about this song, Tyler. What would you say is sort of the gist or the the overview of this song? What is it generally about? Okay, generally in what sense? Uh, What do they devote the most time to? Or if we were to construct a cohesive narrative out of the song, what would that be? And uh, I think the answers to those two questions are different. So they devote the most time to this uh, refrain about holy water, hence the title, um, and the uh, refrain really emphasizes God's forgiveness and how it's pleasing uh, to the singers. So to the uh, taste, like sweet honey, to the ear, like symphony, and I guess um, to the feeling, the skin. like holy yeah. water on the skin. And the verses are a little different. The verses, are, they focus on, uh, I hate to use this word, um, <laughs> I'm not trying to say phenomenological, 
but I want to say uh, kind of a, a first person subjective experience of of God and of faith. So we open in a time of crisis, it seems. I'm on my knees. I'm begging. Uh, we have, you know, isolation, loneliness, walking on desert roads, um, needing God, and uh, then reflecting on where we were, a dead man walking, um, needing God still. And then we also have a an emphasis on God's grace and how that is what inspires change in the person and also a uh, an appeal to be baptized. So I think it's doing a lot of different things. The baptize appeal, obviously, if baptism happens one time, must be a kind of evangelistic tactic mm-hmm. to get people to um, convert and be baptized, get people to believe. And the rest of the song really seems to be emphasizing one's dependence on God and on his grace. Mm. Well, Tyler, that summary was absolutely phenomenological (laughs) by that i mean because phenomenological means phenomenal to like the maximum right isn't that what that word means to the logical degree yes like as far as logic can carry yes exactly right so anyway phenomenological job tyler let him in on the inside joke hello this is dr grande today's question asks if i can provide examples of what narcissists do to make other people believe that they are more intelligent than they actually are. The irony of many of these items is that they actually make the narcissist look less intelligent. So these are things that narcissists do that they believe makes them look more intelligent, but they don't necessarily actually make them appear smarter. Moving to item number two, this is using words incorrectly. Of course, the irony here is that the narcissist tries to correct other people's grammar, but they often use words incorrectly themselves. This is particularly true of technical jargon outside the narcissist field. I find that much of the time this happens when the narcissist hears somebody that they respect use an unusual word, then the narcissist tries to figure out the meaning of that word from the context or from what the word sounds similar to. And what really stands out to me is when the narcissist uses the word in a way that's way off rather than a common or understandable mistake in terms of using that word. So a couple of examples I've seen, there's this word phenomenological. I've seen a narcissist use this to mean phenomenal, like phenomenological is a better version of the word phenomenal. Of course, it doesn't mean that. It's the study of structures of consciousness as experienced from a first person point of view. It's a pretty common word when talking about qualitative research, right? So they just hear the word and they make an assumption about what it means. And again, without researching it, they just start using it. So the first lyric set. God, I'm on my knees again. God, I'm begging, please, again. I need you. Oh, I need you. Walking down these desert roads, water for my thirsty soul. I need you. Oh, I need you. What's going on, Tyler? So this song opens with a direct appeal to God. We have second person uh, pronouns here. I need you. And uh, the person, like I said before, is opening in a time of trial or maybe turmoil. 
on my knees, uh, presumably in prayer, although that could be also uh, yeah. someone who is in... Uh, begging. Yeah, begging, uh, supplication, or even uh, exhaustion, or uh, desperate need. Uh, obviously, that, that would be fitting here, right? I'm on my knees, I'm begging, I need you, I need you. And then I was intrigued by the second set of lines... Um, Walking down these desert roads, this is a band from Nashville, so this can't really be literal unless they took a no. you know tour through the Mojave out west. So I think this is a, a figurative use of this. Um, in deserts, there is no water, of course, by definition, or very, very little rainfall. And uh, the person is um, in need of water, as we see in that second line, water for my thirsty soul. So again, emphasis on thirst there uh reinforcing that figurative use of the desert roads where the thirst is experienced and the desert is experienced in a spiritual sense in the soul and this yeah. uh brought to mind psalm 42 as i'm sure it did for you too colin mm -hmm. as the deer pants for streams of water so my soul pants for you my god my soul thirsts for god the living god when can i go and meet with God. So I think we have very similar sentiment there in the Psalms. I'll just say, I, I, everything you said, I think spot on. It did bother me slightly, and this is a nitpick maybe, but it, I found it a little bit awkward to be talking in the first half of the verse about being on your knees and begging, and then the image shifts where the person is walking. Like, you know, it's just, and again, I get that it's just a two different metaphors, but kind of, kind of to have them so close together, I found a little bit jarring. Yeah. I want, in response to that, maybe it's doing something that Psalm 1 does, where it's blessed oh, is the yeah, man yeah. who yes. does not walk, <laughs> nor stands, yeah. nor sits, where it's like, yeah, these are sure. different vignettes of a similar theme. Uh, Could be. Or different vignettes of a, of a, a similar experience of yeah. of needing God, thirsting for God in the desert and also pleading for God in in prayer or, or I guess I shouldn't impose that on it, but pleading for God in a position of supplication and genuflection. Yeah, could be there. I also would wonder why the person needs God. And again, it's not like the, the first verse has to answer it, but it would it, it does seem to the question arises naturally from what is left on the table here. So we know there's this desperate need, but I, but why? Like, and what's the thirst for? Why is the soul thirsty? You know, what's going on there? So I would hope that one of the things that I'd be looking for is how the song is going to answer that. Yeah, absolutely. Or maybe if what we might look for, and I'm not, I'm not speaking coyly about the rest of the song or anything like that, but what one might look for are um, ways in which God has acted to bring himself to you or to bring you to him and uh, ways in which uh, the uh, the God who is addressed here addresses the need of the thirsty soul. So let's look for that. Yep. And so we get into the chorus where I think we might get an answer to those questions. Your forgiveness is like sweet, sweet honey on my lips, like the sound of a symphony to my ears, like holy water on my skin. Hey! 
<laughs> so Tyler, boom. This, da, this does da, seem da, da, like da, da, the answer, right? Forgiveness. That seems to be what was needed, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. That could be the answer to uh, to that thirst, uh, the thirst for forgiveness. Um, I think one might look for uh, some description of what needed forgiving, but it's good to see yeah. the forgiveness is there. It's starting to go part way there, I think. And the uh, I I couldn't help but when I when I saw honey, I thought of all of these different scriptural. Uh, oh, yeah. references to either the law of the Lord uh, being um, more precious than gold and sweeter than honey. That's from yeah. Psalm 19 um, or Psalm 81, where God says, um, uh, if my people would listen to me, uh, you would be fed with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock. So drawing mm. out this sweetness from, from what looks to be... Uh, a place where you can't typically find honey um or even psalm 119 how sweet are your words to my taste sweeter than honey to my mouth so mm -hmm. i think that it's interesting that they didn't choose the word of god or the law of god but the forgiveness of god yeah um, which i don't i don't want to do too many gymnastics here but if we can think about it what is the vehicle for delivering god's forgiveness it is the word the logos christ yeah. himself so right. i think it I think it works. I think so too. And but then so so that the idea of honey is is got a lot in scripture. And then the, there's kind of a movement into uh again other kind of metaphors but maybe that have a little bit less scriptural backing. That's not the end of the world. I mean, you can use a perfectly good metaphor that's not in scripture as long as it works. So that like so forgiveness is like the sound of a symphony to my ears and like holy water on my skin yeah um so yeah these two these all three of these are similes of course introduced by like and then yeah the sound of symphony to my ears uh i, I like the sound of symphonies it's pleasing it's you have a bunch of diverse instruments and they're all able to play together and they you know they tune to the same frequency to get everything just right um and it's well when they play pleasing music it's very pleasing when they play scary music it's very scary so um I, I'm not sure exactly what to make of it, other than it's probably meant to be pleasant. Uh, yeah. And the holy water on the skin. Um, That's a weird one, isn't it? I mean, it, it, yeah. I, Especially what is holy water? So, in the narrative so far, um, if if I guess I don't want to carry that desert image too long, but it it would seem cruel if someone came to you in a desert and you gave them honey like it almost seems like they would be dehydrated and honey would not be able to be, be all sticky uh, yeah and then you put water on their skin they'd probably be a little grumpy but yeah <laughs> <laughs> but but i think uh okay uh there's an elephant in the room colin do you do you see the elephant in the room it's the holy water yeah uh yeah we got some potential catholicism and yeah, or all that kind of thing. Or a, I, I don't know. I mean, a, okay, I'm going to make a case here for uh, the words holy water, okay? Because they, they okay. do appear in scripture. Oh. All right, but bear with me because there's, there's a little bit of setting up to do, okay? So in Exodus 30, God is telling Moses how to put together all the different pieces that are going to become the tabernacle. And he tells Moses, um, starting at verse 17, Then the Lord said to Moses, 
Make a bronze basin with its bronze stand for washing. Place it between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Aaron and his sons are to wash their hands and feet with water from it. So this is a, a okay. bronze basin uh, for ritual purification and cleansing of the Levites when they go into uh, the temple or the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. In Numbers 5, okay, so uh, a book of the Bible, two books of the Bible later, we have this explanation from God of how a man who suspects his wife has been in adultery can have mm -hmm. her tried before mm -hmm. God. And God says in Numbers 5, uh, starting in verse 16, the priest shall bring her, this woman who's been accused, and have her stand before the Lord. Then he shall take some holy water in a clay jar and put some dust from the tabernacle floor into the water. And Matthew Henry, uh, who is a biblical commentator and theologian, um, connects the holy water in the jar from this basin of ritual mm -hmm. cleansing and purification and so it's interesting the water and the dust both come from the tabernacle in a sense now if the woman was um or this is a little bit deep here and probably i hope it's not too much of a distraction but um what i'm trying to do with this is to set up a, a legitimate uh sense in which holy water can be justified solely on biblical terms okay um the uh if the woman had committed adultery she would have to drink th this water and a sacrifice would be burnt um and if she had conceived through adultery um this would bring a curse upon her and cause her to miscarry so pretty Whoa. pretty grim stuff um but at the very least, in Numbers 5, we can say there is a category in the tabernacle period of holy water, and it does seem to have these this power, although it's, yeah. the, it seems to be the power to cleanse the Levites of sin and also to bring curse upon sinners. Um, and it's not just the Roman Catholics that have holy water. Lutherans, Anglicans, and some other churches have this category too, um, although it's not as codified in as it is in the Roman Catholic Church, it's not always as clear what's going on. But Luther, um, in talking about the baptismal waters, says that this water used for baptism is not mere ordinary water, but water comprehended in God's word and command and sanctified thereby. Yeah, so made holy. Sanctified, right? Made holy. That's I think that's just another way of saying it's holy water. And this is, of course, where it differs from, for example, the, the Reformed tradition, which holds that the water, um, well, I'll, I'll just read this. Baptism is a sacrament. This is Westminster Larger Catechism 165. Baptism is a sacrament of the New Testament, wherein Christ hath ordained the washing with water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit to be a sign and seal of engrafting into himself back to Christ. So um, it, the Westminster Larger Catechism does not say sanctified water. It says water. Yeah. So um, I would just say there's there are very different traditions on this. Uh, but at the very least, we can say in Numbers 5, there's a category for holy water. And it's probably this ritual basin where people wash, where the Levites wash in the tabernacle. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, the rest of the song explains that this is reference to baptismal 
water, right, of some kind. And so, but I will say it's unfortunate that that explanation comes after the first time we read about holy water because you're kind of like, what? Like, and for me, and I'll just, you know, this is where my mind goes. Right now, I'm replaying all the old Castlevania games on the Nintendo. And so, when you have holy water on my skin and then a dead man walking, I'm like, oh my goodness, right? If you're a vampire, that holy water is not feeling good on your skin. If you're a dead man walking or a zombie, right? Now, obviously, that's just in the weird world that I live in. But I do think if you're going to say holy water, it might have been nice to contextualize it first. Sure. And uh, I don't think it's crazy at all to think that someone might come to their pastor and say, hey, this song talks about holy water, but we don't have that in our church as far as I know. Uh, Where can I get some of that? And then you might have to go, the pastor then might have to go through this long explanation too. Yeah. So uh, it's just something to be careful about. Um, Yeah. But, But if you just take it, I mean, obviously I think, and your explanation got this made this pretty clear. It seems like what they're just talking about is the idea of being baptized, right? The idea of of that forgiveness and bap they seem to be linking forgiveness and baptism here. I, I highly doubt they're thinking, uh, give me some of that vial uh, in the clay pot of holy water yeah. that the adulterous woman drinks. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. Right. But, and also they aren't thinking about some weird mystical, you know, water that kills vampires either. Like, I, yeah, it's just baptism. And, and so, yeah, we get into that in the second verse. Dead man walking, slave to sin. I want to know about being born again. I need you. Oh, God, I need you. So take me to the riverside. Take me under. Baptize. I need you. Oh, God, I need you. Oh, Tyler. So not a vampire here, but what what is happening here? Okay. Uh, I'm going to take these in two chunks because the second chunk begins with so, which I think is important. So the first chunk, dead man walking. Uh, this person was... Um, well, as Ephesians 2, 1 says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So I think this is what's going on. Of course, these people whom Paul is writing to in Ephesus, uh, they knew that they were, according to biology, alive. So he, and Paul knows that they were, according to biology, alive. So he's talking about dead men walking, people who are dead in their sins, going about their daily lives uh, ignorant of God and slaves to sin. This is what Jesus says in John eight thirty four. Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And the person in the song wants to know about being born again. Now, this reminds, of course, of Nicodemus when Nicodemus comes to Christ by night and asks, how can someone be born when they are old in John 3? And Jesus replies, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit, um, unless he's born again. So um, this, of course, is talking about baptism. And I need you, oh God, I need you, this uh, refrain, which now now that I think of it, reminds me of, Lord, I need you, oh, I need you. Lord, I need you. 
Exactly. I don't think that's on accident. I think that's another one of these, again, and we talked to um, Mark and Mike who did this study on, well, how the lifespans of songs are getting shorter, Christian music. And and one of the things that we talked about on that podcast was how uh, probably what, what some songwriters are doing is putting in references to more timeless songs to give maybe just to give their flash in the pan song just a, a couple more weeks on the charts sure you know and i think so i think that was maybe what's going on here well after this set of i need you's we have this um so and of course mm-hmm. the so introduces a resolution we have all this build up what's the resolution take me to the riverside take me under baptize so boom this is what has been needed uh, this whole time, I think. Um, I need yeah. you to baptize me. Um, and Jesus himself was baptized in the Jordan. And so I think this, uh, of course, in kind of modern, <clears throat> I don't know, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Anglican churches, we we might look at getting baptized in a river um, in, a, in a more, well, how, how do I put this? It is atypical in yeah. many modern churches to see people. what's called immersion. Well, well, but not, I'm not talking about baptism in. Like oh, a you're ta- you're sense. literally <clears throat> talking about the scene. You're not even going to immersion versus. Let, let me, yeah, exactly. Sprinkling. I'm not talking about baptism okay. by immersion versus baptism by sprinkling, um, which I, I don't want to upset any of our listeners, uh, but I obviously have opinions about that. Um, well, ju- and just <clears throat> by the way, just a disclaimer: I was baptized in a river, so okay. Well, anyway, anyway go ahead. so what I was going to say Tyler. is baptism in rivers is Why is my is baptism invalid. not valid? Exactly. Um, <laughs> no, what I, what I mean to say is here, I think um, even though it is atypical in many um, modern churches, it clearly was the practice of John the Baptist. It is clearly how Christ was baptized. And um, it, yeah, that's, that's all I wanted to say about that, I guess. Um, I don't... I don't think it's necessary, so I don't think you need to demand to be taken to the riverside. Um, but I, I wouldn't necessarily prohibit it either, if that makes sense. I, not necessarily. I certainly wouldn't prohibit it. And interestingly, uh, this kind of gets back to that conversation about the holy water you're having before. Yeah, because the river water is river water, right? Is common. <laughs> what the song does talk about is holy water, which set apart water, consecrated water, and river water is not that. Like, like, absolutely not. Uh, I'm not going to speak from my, from like a reform perspective, but I would say, um, I think a, if I may speak for, um, if I may speak for Lutherans for a moment without upsetting them, um, if the water which is used in baptism is sanctified, then water even, well, would they baptize in a river? Let's say there's a sect of Lutherans. I'm just saying like the logically (laughs) we have to make sense of this. The water being sanctified by the word 
is what makes it holy. And I think they, then you would have to say, water in a river, water in a basin, what makes them holy in that tradition is not whether it flows or not, it's whether it's been set apart. All right. I don't want to abuse your grace. God, I need it every day. It's the only thing that ever really makes me want to change. I thought this was a really intriguing yeah. set of lines. Yeah, me too. Why did you think it was intriguing? Well, I mean, first of all, the idea of abusing grace, I don't think is ever something I've ever seen come up in a song before. And it just it also brings up a question like, what what would it mean? to abuse God's grace. What what are they worried about here? I think I think it's a legitimate concern. We we I there probably are ways we could abuse God's grace. I think the more common way that we think of grace being abused is you know, basically just like living in unregenerate sin and kind of saying, "Oh yeah, you know, I'm I'm a Christian. You know, Jesus died for me, so I can kind of do what I want." And kind of minimizing the sanctification. So so using almost using justification as a kind of overemphasizing justification i guess you might say that i think that's what we typically think i don't think that that's what they're talking about here i don't think they're talking about abusing grace in that way because we have i don't want to abuse your bra- your grace god i need it every day and it's the only thing that makes me want to change so they are talking about change. Now, change is a generic term, but I think we can the the reasonable imp, uh the reasonable inference here I think is change being sanctification. So, it's God's grace every day that's actually even going to give us the desire to change. And so, I actually think this this may be quite sophisticated if if I may say so. I think what they may be speaking of when they say abusing grace is to think that we don't need grace. One of another way that Christians abuse grace is by thinking that we can merit forgiveness or thinking that we no longer need God's grace to be sanctified. That we become justified by grace and then it's kind of up to us to to keep the salvation train going until we die. And that sanctification is just something that's wholly on us. And of course, in scripture, it's a paradox. It's it's this weird paradox where we have God and his Holy Spirit entirely responsible for sanctification. And then at the same time, we are also responsible for, for sanctification and that it's progressive over time. And and, and I, th- I think that's kind of what they're referencing here. I think they're saying... I need grace every day, and I'm not actually going to now be sanctified without relying on grace. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Tyler? I So I'm glad you went there. That's where I went too. And so I, I was thinking, man, I'm way overthinking this, but it's good to know that at least if, if I am, then you are too. Um, so we're on the sinking ship together. But um, I think this song gives us some clues. We went back to um, this dead man walking. This person was dead. This person was a slave to sin. And of course, this refrain that they, they I don't want to say harp on because it sounds negative. This refrain that they continue to repeat through the last half of whatever performance of the song you look at, whether it's eight minutes or four minutes, um, it's a, it's dedicated to your forgiveness, God's forgiveness. And so I think they're, they're meditating on the fact that they have God's forgiveness, but they don't want to um, abuse the 
grace at the heart of that forgiveness. I need it every day. I need your grace every day. Um, and th- it's, it's, I found it so interesting that they didn't just talk about um, needing to change, but they talked about needing to desire to change. Like they want to see heart transformation happen. And the grace is what inspires that, which is so true. Um, what makes you want to get better? Somebody shouting at you and telling you you need to get better, that might work for a you know, a day. But what about someone living a life of character and love and forgiveness to you? And you want and gratitude. Yeah, yeah. You want to show gratitude to that person. I think that's what they're getting at here. And I think, <clears throat> Colin, that where I think this might be going, um, if, if they're being really, really, really sophisticated here, I think this might be the idea of, um, what's called improving our baptism. Now that's, that might sound kind of crazy mm. to some of our listeners, but this is from the Westminster Larger Catechism. Uh, question 167, how is our baptism to be improved by us? And the answer to this, and uh, I do apologize for the length, but this document was designed to <laughs> answer a lot of things in, sentence, in a single sentence. The needful but much neglected duty of improving our baptism is to be performed by us all our life long, especially in the time of temptation and when we are present at the administration of it to others by serious and thankful consideration of the nature of it and of the ends for which Christ instituted it, the privileges and benefits conferred and sealed thereby, and our solemn vow made therein by being humbled for our sinful defilement, our falling short of and walking contrary to the grace of the baptism and our engagements by growing up to assurance of pardon of sin and of all other blessings sealed to us in that sacrament by drawing strength from the death and resurrection of Christ into whom we are baptized for the mortifying of sin and quickening of grace and by endeavoring to live by faith to have our conversation in holiness and righteousness as those that have therein given up their names to Christ and to walk in brotherly love as being baptized by the same spirit into one body. If they are tying the baptism thing into this meditation on grace, I think they are talking about improving our baptism by gratitude. And you'll notice in that answer from the Westminster Divines, the the part where we start working harder, mortifying sin, doesn't come until three quarters of the way through it. It's about mm-hmm. um, gratitude. It's about being humbled uh, by our sinful defilement of our thankful consideration to the nature of the baptism. So I think I think that might be what's going on here. We meditate on what God has done in our lives so far, and that in, that really does inspire us, encourage us to change for the better. Yeah. So I mean, pretty I think a pretty unique and 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 kind of cool set of lines to really have in a song. Yeah. Agreed. I didn't think that contemporary Christian music could really surprise me at this point ever having done a hundred of these episodes or more, but this was a pleasant one. Uh, Tyler, what are some concluding thoughts you have on the song? I think the song is creative in a number of ways. I mean, stylistically, it's... it's. Uh, it doesn't sound like U2 or Hillsong, right? It, it, it is a bit different. Yeah, it's, it's more like if Southern Rock invaded Christian worship music which is interesting it seems like there's a theme of that now with like zach williams becoming super popular too um 
so musically it's interesting and creative um lyrically it's pretty creative uh the ideas in here seem to be pretty complex they're not just like uh the stereotype from the 2000s and 2010s of like happy clappy you just yeah. kind of refrain on a simple idea and don't go into it in detail um i do think there are some clarity issues with the song mm. um because the resolution following that word so is baptism um it takes some some legwork to get people to see that after they've been baptized there's still this kind of hope for change and transformation i think they yeah they hinted that in the last verse um but what you don't want to do is make people think they need to be baptized again because they've sinned again in some grievous way um but what they need to do is improve on their baptism. And of course, there's also legwork required to explain the category of holy water. Assuming someone is not spiritually naive, and I don't mean that in a bad way, or hasn't really thought about those words before, um, they're going, you said my mind goes to Castlevania or vampires, but that is uh, in, in common parlance, that's where those words take you. If you, if you just said holy water and it in a secular context, people would think it was for either an exorcism or for driving out a vampire, sprinkling it on his head. So you can, if you play D&D, &D, there's, yeah, there's all kinds of places you could go. But um, I just think it, it's cool. It's interesting. It's thoughtful. It's creative, but it requires, if you're going to put that in your church, you got to do some, some work from up front to make sure people know what you're talking about. What do you think? Carl? Yeah, I agree. I agree, Tyler. I, I think yeah, I, I won't restate what you said, but very creative, refreshing in some ways, even, but also still convoluted. Like I think it, I think it could use a few more passes through the kind of editing and and uh, framing process to kind of get it. The, the, this is a good song. It's not a great song, but it's a it's a good song. Yeah, it's even a very I, good song. And how many songs do you know that meditate strictly on God's forgiveness being? a delight to the senses. Um, that's, that's cool. Yeah. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And I think this song is kind of, yeah. In fact, it's kind of demystifying in some ways forgiveness by attaching it to the senses. It's not making forgiveness, just some inner feeling that you have. It's kind of saying, no, forgiveness is something that affects your body. It's something that affects your life, your biology, you know? Yeah. So, Tyler, what'd you rate the song? I'm going to give it four out of five. This four that I would give it is yes. a four with a star. And it's a okay. big star because it's, I don't, I don't know if I can say anymore that like a three means I approve of it for use in worship or something. It just, it, things are so complicated there that it seems like it's, it's a four. And if you're going to do it, you got to explain a lot. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's like sure. a four with a caveat attached. Four out of five banjos in church. Now, <laughs> help me understand this. Just one. because uh, the version of this on YouTube that I saw was this the yeah the one where they're in the church and and there's like a guest uh, there's a guest vocalist as well. Yeah, her name is Tasha Cobbs Leonard, and they have. Okay. And again, I'm not. I don't mean this in a bad way, but they have a slightly out of tune piano, which adds a little bit of charm to it, and. Uh, maybe a very out of tune piano that adds charm to it, which I've seen in also like Southern 
Southern rock and Southern indie do this sometimes for effect. But then there's a guy in the first pew sitting there with a banjo plucking away. And I just thought, <laughs> man, I don't know. Is this the first time we've seen in a music video that's recorded in a church a banjo brought in there? I think so. Mm. I watched three videos and uh, that was the last one that I saw. And I was pleased because I thought the song was kind of fun and interesting. And then I thought, oh, how's this going to hold up in a more muted setting? And it still holds up really well. Like the song is just, uh, it's got a, a kind of power to it. You know, it's got a kind of a uh, force to it, just the way that it is. It's, it's really refreshing. It's not Hillsong. You know, it's not like seven minute long meditation, you know, it's it's just it's packed and so so therefore i gave it four out of five sweet jams because marmalade no not that kind of jam like like music jam i i think this is like a musician's song when when i you know as i've reviewed songs on this podcast none of them i don't think any of them have made me just think oh that would be you know because i'm not leading worship anymore and none of them have been have made me want to just jump back in the saddle this is the first one where i just thought man this would be really fun to like play this song. It would be fun to have a bunch of people that were kind of, um, you know, singing this song and, you know, good drummer and, you know, just a bunch of people. This, this, it would be a nice kind of cathartic experience to, to play this song. Yeah. There's such a heavy drum beat on two and four when they go, your forgiveness. Yeah. It's like sweet. You just feel it. Everyone's subtly either headbanging or kind of rocking, and you kind of feel 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 the music for sure. But it's nice that the the lyrics actually provide substance to to headbang too as well. Definitely. All right. Well, thanks, listeners, for listening to this week's episode of the Worship Review. And as always, we encourage you to share the podcast with your friends. Let people know about this resource because it's the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, as uh, worship leaders and pastors think about songs they want to do, it's probably the case that we've looked at them and and can be a part of helping you think about those songs. And always, of course, feel free to write us too at feedback at the Worship Review on Twitter uh, as well. You can find us there by searching for the worship review we're on there and you can interact with us Uh, and you can also send us a donation if you like uh, to pay for the little bit of hosting and website things that um, that we use for the podcast otherwise thank you very much and we'll see you next time later you've been listening to the worship review please subscribe to the podcast leave a comment or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com we accept donations at Anchor FM slash The Worship Review and Patreon.com slash The Worship Review. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.